Hello, I'm Alison Braddock, Marketing and Business Development Manager for SRUC Veterinary Services. Welcome to our latest On The Hoof podcast. In this episode, I will be chatting to Colin Mason, VIO and Centre Manager of Dumfries about milk drop syndrome. And this podcast complements a recent webinar on the subject. So hi, Colin, and welcome. Hi. Uh, hello there. Nice to, to speak to you all again. Good to see you. Thank you. So to kick off, Colin, please, would you be able to give us a brief overview of milk drop in the dairy herd? Yeah, of course. And um, milk drop syndrome is is a difficult thing. I think anything that ends in the word syndrome from a veterinary point of view tends to suggest either that we don't fully know what we're talking about or that it's very multifactorial Um, and I think that is the case here there are lots of uh, potential things that can be involved in milk drop syndrome on a farm and teasing those out can be quite difficult for vets farmers and nutritionalists and it's very simplest it's actually quite boring in that it's actually cows usually that are um, slightly off food mm-hmm. uh, slightly off milk as in not milking as much as they should uh, they may be throwing a temperature uh, they may be scouring they may have some evidence of uh, respiratory disease but the initial presenting signs are obviously uh, initially quite quite boring sometimes and, and very non-specific uh, which is where it gets quite hard to to get a route in, and we sometimes see these um, things occurring in herds in a in a fairly large outbreak. Again, more commonly and perhaps more boringly, uh, they very often present in a sort of drip drip kind of way, where you get two or three cows this week, two or three cows next week, a few more cows the week after, and it goes in that way. So it can present in in a fairly sort of slow burning way within a dairy herd. So it it presents a challenge. Um, I think it's something that we need to take quite seriously uh, because it is a a production and a performance and a welfare concern for the cows that are affected uh, and is something that we need to try and get to the bottom of if we can. And that's maybe what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Thank you, Colin. That's great. That's really interesting. So in your webinar, um, you cover Schmallenberg. So what's the link of this disease to milk drop? The reason why I mention this is that in the line of work that that we do at SRUC Veterinary Services, looking at disease surveillance, milk drop syndrome is uh, quite interesting from a surveillance perspective, very interesting from a surveillance perspective, in fact, because we do wonder whether in this very sort of non-specific way, this is how new diseases may start to appear and show themselves in dairy herds. And the best example of this is the example of Schmallenberg. Uh, and this takes you back to the summer of 2011 in northern Germany and Holland, where cows presented in dairy herds in that classic milk drop syndrome way. They had pyrexias, um, they had anorexias, they had milk drop, and they had diarrhea. Um, and a really cool bit of that story was is the surveillance vets in Holland and Germany started to see these cases appearing on numerous farms. 
if you apply the standard diagnostic tests to those cases looking for causes of diarrhea, for example, in adult dairy cows, nothing was identified uh, using the sort of standard tests for, let's say, salmonella or coronavirus or liver fluke or whatever it happens to be. And as surveillance vets, they started to go, oh, maybe there's something new and unusual going on here. And then the story unraveled from there in that they identified a new virus. They classified that new virus through metagenomics. And they showed quite quickly that um, it was a, a particular type of virus that might cause fetal deformities. And then sure enough, as we moved further into the season with early lambing sheep flocks, that's exactly what they got. So it's a brilliant example of surveillance in action. And that's why we're interested in it as well. Uh, we're interested in it from an individual farmer point of view, trying to solve their problems. But we're also interested that if we're seeing numerous milk drop syndrome cases in an area, in a region, uh, could this be something new? Uh, and we need to try and investigate it to consider that. Thank you, Colin. Talk us through how you would go about investigating milk drop on the farm. OK, so I think like anything, you kind of need to stand start off with a, a case definition. Um, uh, um, and very often from a farmer point of view, the farmer might come to you and say, well, my cows aren't milking as well as they should. And of course, there's a multitude of reasons why that might be. Uh, some of them will be nutritional. Some of them may be managemental. Some of them may be infectious. Some of them may be environmental. There is so many different things that could lead into that sort of farmer complaint, if you like, of my cows aren't milking as well as they should. So we need to define the problem, I think, to start off with. Um, and our definition of milk drop syndrome could be, and one that we would suggest, is um, milk drop greater than 25% loss of yield uh, over one or more days in an individual cow um, with pyrexia, um, with or without diarrhea, and at least 5% of the herd affected in a one-week period. So that's a suggested case definition uh, of how you might get a route into this. Uh, and I think it's important to have that one in mind. You might agree or disagree with that case definition, but that's a starter for 10. Um, and there are some initial things and a little bit of homework that need to be done, I think, is as well, you know, what cows are affected? Is it early lactation cows failing to reach peak? Is it random cows across the herd, as it very often is? Um, is it all cows that are not performing as well as they should, or is it individual cows that are performing really badly? Um, uh, if it's all cows not performing as well as they should, then perhaps this is more likely to be a feeding or a fertility issue. And fertility in days in milk is a, is a question that's also worth asking as well in terms of uh, what is the average days in milk for the herd at this particular moment, sort of targets sitting around about 160, 170 days. But if it's in excess of that, then that could be a reason as well. So there's a bit of case definition stuff um, and a bit of history stuff that needs to be worked out first uh, definitely from a nutritional point of view worthwhile thinking about acidosis risk um, uh, and are there any symptoms and signs of acidosis or feeding problems interruptions to feeding uh, cows that are um, showing signs of acidosis um, and and those signs could quite easily be again Reduced feed intake, decreased milk yield, diarrhea, variable dung consistency, regurgitated cud balls, low milk butter fats, these sorts of things are, are definitely things to, to look out for. So things to think about there by way of, of general investigation. 
I think in the summer months, I don't want to dwell on it just now, but heat stress and its effects on, on dry matter intake, certainly worth bearing in mind um, as to what effect that could have on, on milk production. Um, and then also looking at environmental factors in terms of how the cows are behaving within a shed, how they're performing uh, and how they're interacting with other cows, also very, very important as well. So I think there are certain sort of, you know, like any clinical problem for a vet, things that need to be thought about in terms of getting a good history, uh, looking at all the options as to what might be going on before you then sort of reach out to possible infectious disease causes as well. Okay, so so Colin, what about the key infectious diseases um, that we need to consider for, for um, milk drop syndrome? Yeah, thanks, Alison. And you know, as vets, we love we love to find an infectious disease. We love a bit of bug hunting, uh, and without doubt, there are certain key infectious diseases with milk drop syndrome that we might want to rule in or rule out. Uh, and, and there are common infectious agents that we, we think about in association with this syndrome. Whether they're relevant or not is the key challenge that we need to, to rise to as vets to see is it involved or is it not. So one of the ones that, that commonly gets talked about will be IBR, bovine herpes virus 1, um, which can certainly cause milk drop syndrome along with respiratory signs in adult milking cows. I'm not going to insult everybody's intelligence by going through all of the clinical signs of IBR in terms of the respiratory effects, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's all well known. Um, I think I would focus on on a couple of points, though, with regard to IBR herd epidemiology, first of all. Uh, firstly, um, large scale outbreaks do occur. They can occur. Um, uh, but they probably only occur in a very unique set of circumstances where the virus gets into a genuinely naive, non-vaccinated herd. Um, probably the more common scenario in dairy herds with IBR is, is, is that it's sporadic cases or small-scale flare-ups, usually as a result of immunity gaps within the herd. Could it be a group of perhaps heifers that have not been vaccinated before joining the herd? Um, and, and could it be because of a, an acute flare-up and recrudescence of the virus within a herd? Um, we've got high levels of vaccine use for IBR in our dairy herds across the UK. Um, uh, and certainly there is a school of thought that, that vaccine, IBR vaccine, particularly live vaccine, may have a non-specific effect at reducing milk drop syndrome risk as well, uh, as well as a direct effect uh, in terms of controlling IBR. Uh, so I think it's worthwhile thinking about the epidemiology a little bit to start off with. Um, I think it's also really important to rule in or rule out IBR if you have some of the suspect clinical signs, including milk drop. And that's something that is really easy to do. Uh, if you pick cows in the acute stages of the disease with a pyrexia uh, and, and with a serous ocular or nasal discharge and you get some swabs of that material uh, for any of the viral PCRs available for respiratory disease. Um, if you pick the right cows, those swabs should be hooching in virus, for want of a better word. There should be plenty of virus there to define. Uh, the PCR techniques are really good, really sensitive, uh, and therefore if the virus is there, you've confirmed your diagnosis. If, however, it's not there, 
then you can kind of move on with with good confidence to say, well, this is not IBR, this is something else, and then consider other options, whether they are other infectious diseases or other management nutrition factors, whatever that is. So IBR, I think, is something that's easy to identify. It's also quite easy to rule out if you select the right cases uh, and then either deal with the disease as the problem or move on to something else. That was really interesting, Colin, about IBR. So so what other infectious diseases um, would you need to rule out when looking at milk drop? I think just following on from, from IBR and respiratory disease, first of all, if we focus on the respiratory diseases, one of the common things that we see in adult dairy cows and in our milking herds now is, is adult dairy cow pneumonia, uh, which is very often... Uh, quite a severe clinical presentation for individual cows it is um, usually a bacterial type pneumonia um, whether that is um, Mannheimia, Pasteurella, Histophilus, Mycoplasma those sorts of things but usually Pasteurella as the primary cause um, and we do see those quite commonly so um, that's that's one thing to consider also on the respiratory side and again it very much depends on on management uh, uh, and and farm system but particularly at this time of year lungworm is something to rule out uh, if animals have been grazing uh, with some some very obvious clinical signs um, RSV has also been implicated as a viral cause uh, and has certainly been implicated in other countries probably more so than the UK but it's something again to, to consider and to rule in or rule out as far as the the respiratory diseases are concerned um, one of the, the other sort of common presenting signs, as I said, is diarrhea. Uh, and certainly in recent winters, we've had more reports of what might be loosely termed winter dysentery. Um, um, and winter dysentery is quite a hard one, I think, to, to deal with and, and, and to manage. It's classically associated uh, with coronavirus as a cause. Uh, whether that is the the only cause or the sole cause, I think is is more debatable these days, uh, and it can quite hard to definitively diagnose it as being associated with coronavirus. Um, but we often get these these presenting signs of of sort of larger, more herd level outbreaks of scour and dysentery with or without pyrexia. Uh, for us, particularly in the southwest of Scotland, quite a lot of these, probably about a third of them, uh, when we die when we're asked to investigate these will be salmonella dublin associated um certainly in the southwest of scotland and, and to some degree in the west of england and wales salmonella dublin is, is relatively common and and can be a cause of these acute flares up of, of, of scour and milk drop um i have to say when we've definitively looked for coronavirus and tried to identify that as a cause of uh, winter dysentery it, it's rare and actually quite hard to definitively show that that is the cause uh, very often we find evidence that coronavirus is there but very little in the way of evidence to say that it's actively involved in an outbreak um, by based on on seroconversion yeah okay no that's really comprehensive colin um are there any other diseases at all infectious diseases that we should also be thinking about yeah as i said i mean actually the true differential diagnosis list for milk drop syndrome is very very large you know it would cover a whole massive range of infectious diseases and and we need to 
to focus on the more common ones, I think, uh, keeping an open mind as to an unusual presentation as well. Um, so we've mentioned the respiratory disease causes. We've mentioned some of the things around winter dysentery. Um, it would probably be daft for me not to mention leptospirosis uh, as you know one of the, the recognised sort of clinical presentations of leptospirosis would be uh, milk drop. Um, they talk about a flabby bag. Uh, they talk about possible associations with changes in, in milk consistency as well. Um, I have to say, in, in our experience, definitively associating lepto with milk drop is um, a very rare occurrence. It's one of these diseases which has got a very high herd seroprevalence in the UK. It's commonly vaccinated for, but it's rarely definitively diagnosed either as a cause of abortion or as a cause of milk drop so it's definitely on the differential diagnosis list it's definitely something to consider it would depend a little bit on herd history and herd vaccination history uh, and one other thing that will be worth mentioning with regard to lepto is is that if you are going to consider it the mat serological test is probably the best way to go to identify it um, and, and identify it being associated with a milk drop problem one other one, again, that's particularly worth mentioning at this time of year, which can cause milk drop, but other clinical signs as well, is um, uh, mycoplasma wenionii, uh, um, which is a, a blood-borne uh, mycoplasma species. It's a hemoplasma, um, and, and it will cause these slightly unusual clinical signs of hind limb pitting edema, painful swollen udders and teats very often leading to problems being uh, problems with cows being milked and, and it will potentially show a pyrexia and a milk drop um, and a reduced feed intake in the acute phases of the disease. So um, it's something we see in late summer and autumn, possibly associated with, with flies uh, causing the transmission of the disease, biting flies. So again, it's something to bear in mind, uh, but you will have certain quite distinct clinical signs with it as well. So, all I've really been trying to do here is highlight some of the infectious diseases to think about. Every herd will be different. Um, every herd will have a different infectious disease risk. Every herd will have a different management risk, a different environmental risk, a different feeding risk, and they all need to be considered in the whole as well. Um, I think if I pull it back as well from a surveillance vet point of view, um, we always need to be considering uh, in in our line of work could this be a new and emerging disease uh, um, could there be other pathogens involved that are are less common less well recognized so you know some examples for example that have come out of metagenomic sequencing of respiratory disease cases include influenza d bovine coronavirus bovine rhinitis viruses adenoviruses parvoviruses there are all sorts of other possible infectious disease causes and, and if you like those are the known unknowns rather than the unknown unknowns so uh, whilst I would always bring the discussion on this back to common things are common uh, whether they're managemental environmental nutritional or infectious and, and we've mentioned some of the common infectious diseases um, we've always got to be aware and keep an open mind for an unknown new and emerging disease syndrome as well. Thanks, Colin, for that. Um, so testing is obviously important to see what we're actually dealing with. So what sampling protocols do you recommend to use to investigate milk drop? 
Yep. I, I think this is the key or one of the key take homes for practitioners is, well, how do you get a route into this in terms of investigation? Um, what I would say to start off with is, is it's a really good opportunity to discuss the herd problem and possible investigation strategies um, with with the lab that you're working with. Have a chat with veterinary investigation officers and and just try and work out what the best investigation strategy might be, the most cost effective investigation strategy might be. And indeed, should we be collecting those samples for looking for unknown unknowns? If you see what I'm saying, history is absolutely vital. Whether that is infectious disease history or again considering all these other factors that form part of the syndrome. Uh, that are non-infectious environment, nutrition, management, etc. But if you are going to go and, and collect samples, these are, are, are some suggestions, um, uh, and, and particularly collecting these samples from acute cases. Um, on the blood side, EDTA bloods, purple top bloods, can be really, really useful, particularly for hematology, uh, what sort of white blood cell response is there, if any. Um, uh, possible DGGE testing for mycoplasma wenionii if if the clinical signs indicate that uh, for considering Schmallenberg is still about and also for for possible future uh, metagenomic testing that might be done um, clotted blood's always really useful storing sera uh, from acute and then follow-up cases um, for paired serology um, is always going to be one of the, the old school and very reliable ways of associating a particular pathogen with a particular disease, looking for a rise in TETA. And some examples here would include um, Salmonella Dublin, uh, coronavirus, uh, but others could be involved there as well. So getting bloods is really, really useful to start off with. Um, getting feces, I think, is going to be useful. If we've got diarrhoea, it's an obvious place to start. Um, uh, so thinking about salmonella cultures, uh, looking for coronavirus potentially, and just the basic sort of adult ruminant enteritis package, covering the basics and making sure that this is not a parasitic thing, it's not a coccidial thing, it's not a yoni's thing, etc., uh, etc. Et so just covering the basics, always remembering that, that common things are common. So bloods, feces, if there are respiratory signs, then as I alluded to with the discussions around IBR, getting a deep guarded nasopharyngeal swab um, into virus transport medium for extended respiratory multiplex PCR testing is incredibly useful. It will basically give you um, information on all of the respiratory pathogens that might be involved uh, and whether they are there, what levels they're there at, and uh, your lab should be able to give you some good guidance on uh, what potentially the significant pathogens might be and and you could expect a range of pathogens to be identified by that test with potentially varying degrees of significance as well so a great way of, of looking at respiratory virus and bacterial involvement there um, and again that could be used for future sequencing type of work should it be required another area that i think is worthwhile considering on the the feeding side of things is actually to collect a TMR sample, a total mixed ration sample of what's being fed to those cows at the time that this is occurring, as is could there be something in that feed and that might be affecting those cows? Uh, and particularly there, I'm thinking about mycotoxin risk. Could there be something that's affecting the rumen microbiome, uh, rumen function and 
the digestive process overall that might be giving you some problems. So it, it's a good sample to collect and it can be frozen if needed. Um, just collecting an arm length glove worth of TMR is a useful test to or sample to collect to start off with. So I'm not saying you need to collect every single one of those samples from every case or every every outbreak, but those would be some guides that you can use to, to tailor what you want to collect for specific hertz. So just as a final footnote, I think uh, if you want more details on this, uh, please go to the full webinar that we delivered on this earlier in the month in September, uh, which gives a little bit more detail and a bit more discussion on some of the points we've raised in this podcast. And also very much uh, if you've got herds that are problems is do get in touch with your local VI centre and, and discuss it with VIOs there as to what you've got uh, and how best to investigate um, so we can try and help you. And we're really, really interested in these cases uh, to find out what's going on, uh, to try and characterise them. Uh, and equally well, if if there are no obvious causes, to try and investigate further. So we really welcome your, um, your calls and your yeah, messages about these to see what's going on out there. Gosh, that's a fascinating insight into milk drop in dairy herds. And uh, thank you for sharing your expertise, Colin. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, We hope that you have found our podcast useful. Thank you. Bye.